0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm a senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. And today, we are continuing on our series entitled Upside Down. We're looking at a number of concepts in this series that are just upside down from the way we think. And point one on your outline tells us why. Inside your bulletin, you find an outline, by the way, entitled Nobodies Are Better Than Somebodies. I'll explain that as we go along here. But point one on your outline simply says that God's thinking often seems upside down to us. And it does. All throughout the Bible, there's just all these upside-down kind of principles and thoughts and practices. where It's pretty clear that, hey, we're not tracking exactly where God's tracking. Here's why God says this is so. In Isaiah 55, he says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is just brilliant. And sometimes we're not that bright. God knows what the future holds. We don't have a clue. God is simultaneously working in my life and a billion others, answering all those prayers and working it all together for his glory. And that's amazing. And so we have to learn to trust him. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And so when we come to our faith in God, that's why it requires faith. That's why it's called religious faith. Faith. We always want God to explain himself. God, explain yourself. Tell me what you're doing. Well, that would be called religious explanation. Religious faith is where I trust God and I say, God, you're going to be able to do things I can't do because you're smarter than me. You have a perspective that goes beyond time, that goes beyond history. You have a perspective. You are all powerful. And so God, I'm going to trust you in areas where I can't figure it out. And so, this morning, we're going to talk about one of those upside down principles of why God chooses to use nobody's rather than somebody's to carry out his work. And I want to share with you some concepts about that. If you need a pen, by the way, just raise your hand. I kind of took off on you, and some of you are going, I didn't have anything to write in the blank with. You know, I, I need a pen. So, if you need a pen, just raise your hand. Our ushers will come up down the aisle and they'll pass one to you. I also want to say before we get into this, I hope this isn't distracting to you. I have a wrap on my left arm. I broke my ring finger on my left hand playing basketball with my son and some others at the YMCA on Tuesday. I was going up for a slam dunk, a 360, and I hooked on the rim, and that would be a total fabrication, okay? I was playing with them. I got tangled up on a rebound, and I went one way, and my ring finger went the other, and it broke. And so uh, um, this week, I'm going to get... Somebody, well, we've got an orthopedic that's going to take care of it and get it put back to rights. So hope it won't be distracting. I'm good at waving, though, so that works good. Okay, so <laughs> let me have a word of prayer for us, and we're going to jump right in uh, today's lesson. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here today. I just thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And, Lord, you want to communicate an important concept all throughout Scripture, and that is that um, you're looking for people who are just willing to be yours and willing to be used not for the best or the brightest or the most beautiful all the time. And sometimes, Lord, we disqualify ourselves and say, well, Lord, you can't use me. And the truth is, you can use anybody who's willing to be used. In fact, you prefer it. So, Lord, I just pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way and say what you want said to us today. In the name of Christ, amen. Point two on your outline, is the title of the message, God likes to use nobodies rather than somebodies to carry out his work. It's true. 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 1. The Apostle Paul was writing to the people in Corinth, the believers who didn't think that they amounted to that much. And here's what he reminded them of. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, Things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God likes to use nobodies because it's our pride and other things that can get in the way from him being able to use us at all. I'm going to share with you three examples from Scripture. I could have picked plenty more. Here are three where God chose to use things that you and I would say, well, that's impossible but with all things, God, I mean, God can do miracles. All things are possible with him. So point A is just one example. It's from First Samuel where God used a shepherd boy to kill a giant. It's the story of David and Goliath. David was a shepherd boy. He'd rescued his father's sheep from bears and lions that had come to snatch a lamb away. He'd go out there with a club and hit it over the head and take the lamb back. He prayed that God would give him strength, and he did. He prayed that God would protect him, and God did. So David had confidence, and he went out to visit his brothers one day, and they were on the battle lines. The battle lines were drawn up. His brothers were part of the Israelite army, and they were on one side of a valley. The other side of the valley were the Philistines. And they'd been camped on both sides of this valley for more than a month, not quite ready for each side. Neither side was ready to take the first step in an all-out war and for the battle to begin. And each day, though, there was a champion from the Philistines who would walk down into the valley. His name was Goliath, and he was over nine feet tall, must have weighed five or six hundred pounds, an enormous freak of nature. He'd been trained in battle since he was a boy, and he was their champion, and uh, he was calling out to the Israelite army. He said, hey, there's no need for all of us to fight. I'll represent my army. You send a representative from your army. We'll stand here in the middle of the valley, and we'll fight to the death. Whoever wins, wins. If I win, then we'll be the champions, and you become our slaves If you win, then we'll become your slaves. Send out your champion. I'll take him on. And nobody stepped forward. That is until David showed up. He went and visited his brothers. His dad sent some supplies with him to take to his older brothers. And he heard the giant taunting the army of Israel. And he heard the giant taunting God. And he said, well, this can't go on. We, have, we serve a real God who's strong, who's mighty. And this giant might be big, but God's bigger. And so he told the king, he said, I'll go fight him. Went down to a stream, picked up a few smooth stones, put them in a shepherd's bag and with a sling and some stones and a shepherd's staff, he took off into the valley. And that's where we pick up the action here First Samuel 17. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. That would be sort of intimidating. Just want to go on record there. Well, David replied to the Philistine, Now you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, and today the Lord will conquer you. Please underline that. Today the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Underline that too. He didn't say the whole world will know that I'm a good shot with a slingshot. The whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And after he finished that, David reached into his pouch, took the rock, and ran right at the giant, slung the stone. God guided that stone like a missile It sunk into Goliath's forehead, and Goliath fell face down in front of him, bowing down in the presence of God. David ran over with a giant unconscious, took out his own sword, and cut off the giant's head and held it up. The Philistine army panicked and ran. Israelites chased him down and had a great victory that day. Now, sometimes we're having a basketball tournament or something like that, and you'll see a team from a small school play in a nationally ranked school, and they win. They go, oh, it's a David and Goliath story. They won with a lucky shot. Well, this was no lucky shot. David said, no, 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 to the giant, hey, you come at me with your superior size and your superior weapons, but I come come against you in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies. You're big, but God's a whole lot bigger, and today you're going down. Man, He had faith in a God who could use a little boy against a military giant. Do you and I have that kind of faith? I mean, that's why God wants to use nobody, so he gets the glory. That day, God received glory. There's a life application for you and me in all of this. Pride is a terrible sin. It is. To think that we are big, too big for our britches, to think that we're smarter than everybody, stronger than everybody, People ought to bow down to us. It's a terrible sin. We're created in the image of God, and he doesn't want us to ever forget that. He wants us to depend upon him. He made us that way. And all too often, if he blesses us with good looks or money or power or a position, we let it all go to our heads, and then we start thinking we earned it all on our own without his help, and we're just better than everybody, and it's a terrible sin. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Goliath found that out. You want to get on God's bad side? Get cocky. You will find him opposing you. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And Goliath literally fell. Right after all these proud statements. He was invincible. Bigger than anybody else. Never lost a fight before. And that's because he wasn't fighting against God. God's better. God's bigger. God's stronger than any problem we face. And we dare not take uh, credit for ourselves. So why would God want to use nobodies? Because nobodies don't usually struggle with pride a whole lot. Nobodies are readily available to go, Lord, if you don't do this, I can't get it done. Lord, I don't know what to do about my friend's addiction. I'll pray for him and I'll help him. But, Lord, why don't you send somebody else? I'm nobody. You're perfect. Well, Lord, I'm not the one to lead a small group Bible study. I don't have any special education. I don't, I don't know if I know enough or other things. I'm nobody. Perfect. Well, Lord, I'm smarter than everyone else. And uh, I believe I can convince these fools to think the right way. Uh, you don't need to apply. Pride is a terrible sin, and God likes to use nobodies who will give him the glory rather than somebodies who will take the credit for themselves. You'll see that in the next story, too. That brings us to the next story. A couple of hundred years earlier, before David ever fought the giant, the Israelites had been uh, guided by God up from Egypt to the Promised Land. They took possession of the Promised Land, and for a while, everything was great. God protected their borders, gave them bumper crops. There was peace. It was awesome. But little by little, the people of the Israelites began to worship the gods of the neighboring lands around them. And the Lord had told them, if you will be my people, then I'll be your God. If you worship me and depend upon me, I'll protect you from invaders from outside. I will bless your crops. I'll take care of everything you need. Trust in me. Don't trust in little statues that aren't anything as I said, little by little, people turned away from the true God and turned away to the gods of the people around them because the gods of the people around them would say it's okay to sin like crazy. And you could still do that and have all kinds of sinful pleasure and still get the rain too and still get the protection too. Well, that's a better deal. We're going with that. And so when they turned their backs on God, God let them say, okay, call on all those foreign gods when the invaders come, see if they'll help. And of course they didn't because there are no other gods. So the Midianites was one group that God allowed to come in, and they raided, stole all their crops, burned their houses down, took their women and children. And after they'd had enough of that, all of a sudden, they decided to cry out to God again. And God said, okay, I'll rescue you. So an angel appeared to a man named Gideon. Gideon was an unlikely warrior. He, the time when the angel appeared to him, he was threshing a little bit of wheat in secret inside of a wine press, kind of like a, a big barrel that it, where he could stay hidden in case the Midianites came and wanted to steal some of his grain. So you can imagine him kind of tramping on some grain, beating it out, just to get enough so he could make some bread, occasionally looking out over the top to see if anybody's coming. An angel appears and goes, Hail, mighty warrior! <laughs> Kiddons go, Where? "It's is me. You're the one God's chosen to rescue your people from the Midianites. The Midianites had showed up, shown up on the borders and they had camels, too numerous to count. The Bible says it was like locusts. And they were prepared to come and devour all the crops again. And so the angel told Gideon, God wants you to organize an army. So he sent out the appeal to all the Israelites. 32,000 men showed up. And this is where he jump in the action on point B on your outline. The Lord told Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me they saved themselves by their own strength. Will you underline that, please? They'll boast to me they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 willing to fight. Hey, if anybody here is chicken, you can go. And there were feathers everywhere. (laughs) Two out of three of them left. I'm out of here. These were not brave people. You're going, oh my goodness, now they're up against a vastly superior army and they only have 10,000. But you know what the Lord said? The Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring. I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. By the way they drank the water from the spring, the Lord said, that's who you need to identify. 300 of them were chosen. The Lord told Gideon, now you're ready. With these 300 men, I'll rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon had a strategy. He he and those 300 men, they all made torches, and they put them inside of some clay jars that they carried with them, and in their other hand, they carried a trumpet. And at night, they surrounded the camp where the Midianites were on all sides, and they fanned out evenly around the camp at the appointed time, they smashed the pots, grabbed the torch, held them up, and blew the trumpets. And the Midianites woke up out of a dead sleep, and God had been troubling their dreams and getting them terrified in the deepest corners of their heart. And they saw all the torches and heard the horns blowing, and they thought a gigantic army was surrounding them. And so the Bible says the Midianites fled in terror, killing each other on the way out of the camp. It's in a blind terror. The Israelites chased after him. They called back some of the guys who had been dismissed earlier, and they won a great victory. Amazing. If you Flip your outline over the life application of that story. It continues on where we were. We should boast about God, but never ourselves. I mean, the problem with having 10,000 warriors or 32,000 warriors is, I let you go out and fight. You're going to take credit yourself. I mean, God likes to use nobodies because nobodies give him the glory. They're not going to boast about how pretty they are, how smart they are, how wealthy they are. In our culture today, I mean, this is why this is so upside down. We have to have the supermodel endorse our product. You have to have the national champion endorse your product. You have to have the rich and the famous endorse your product. That's how you get an endorsement. And God says, no, I'd rather use nobodies. Because I can't stand pride. I can't stand it when people brag about themselves and forget that I'm the one who made them. Jeremiah 9. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast about his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. You want to brag about anything? Brag about the fact that Jesus knows how many hairs are on your head, and you know him. I'm not mighty, but my Savior is. I don't know all things, but I know somebody who does. You can brag about that all day long. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, and that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. That's why we sing the worship songs we do. We want to gather together every Sunday and boast about the Lord. I make foolish decisions, but He is all wise. I am weak, and sometimes I am just worn out, dead tired, but I worship a God who is mighty, and He never gets fatigued. Sometimes I am cowardly and afraid. There is no problem that the Lord backs down from. There's no problem he cannot solve. And if that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. Well, that's why God's okay with using nobodies. He doesn't need the strongest or the prettiest or the wealthiest or the loudest. He just needs people who will call on him. A little shepherd boy will do against a giant. An unlikely warrior and 300 timid guys. Yeah, that's enough. We'll route them because they're not going to boast in themselves. They'll boast in me. I'm the Lord. I made you. And when we boast in Him, it feels right. When we brag about how great He is, something just connects deep inside of our souls. And when I start trusting in a God like that, well, okay. Well, Lord, maybe I can help that person with the addiction then because you can do it. I just got to pray for them and do what I can. Maybe I can lead that Bible study, Lord. Maybe I can volunteer to encourage those homeless people. I can't do it in my own strength, but you can do it, Lord. You can kill a giant. You can rout an army. If you're still not convinced, let me give you another example. When Jesus came to earth to save us from our sins, he chose 12 disciples. You know who he chose? He chose 12 ordinary men to change the world. 12 ordinary men. Here's how a few of them came into the whole uh, ranks of being a disciple in the first place. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water. For they fished for a living, and Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Zebedee's going, hey, guys, what about the nets? (laughs) Okay, I thought that was funny. Anyway, uh, (laughs) you did not. (laughs) That's okay. But isn't that incredible? Jesus is walking along the shore, and he calls out to fishermen, Says, come follow me. Notice it does not say, and Jesus was walking along next to the seminary, and as he was looking over the resumes of the PhD program in the study of religion, he found James and John and Peter and Andrew, all 4.0 students. Did you notice that's not what it says? That's not what it says. I have people all the time, I can't be a connect group leader. I didn't go to seminary. Well, neither did these guys. Well, what did they ever do? Well, they were disciples. Of Jesus, God can use ordinary people. He prefers it. Here's how another one of the disciples was called. His name's Matthew or Levi. I mean, Peter was called Simon or Peter. Um, Levi was also called Matthew, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, just like the fishermen had, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests um, also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. I can't lead a Bible study, John. My past is so checkered. Um, Levi was a tax collector, a known thief, somebody the religious people of his day called scum. God can't use me. I'm nobody, I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul would later write, and of whom I was the worst of all. Matthew, this guy is the guy who wrote the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew in the Bible. I mean, we disqualify ourselves all the time. God sends somebody else. I'm not smart enough. God sends somebody else. I'm not good enough. God sends somebody else. I'm too scared. I can't be a witness for Christ in my office. I can't be a witness for Christ in my family. I can't be a witness for Christ in my neighborhood. God, I'm not good enough, famous enough. I, you need somebody with a platform, God. Mm, actually, I need you. need you. If you're just willing to go. I prefer nobody's they're not going to boast about how great they are. It's not going to go to their head. They're going to give me all the glory. And that's what the disciples did. Here's another life application. Jesus transforms ordinary people into extraordinary people. It's part of what it means to be converted. Converted from a sinner to a person who's been made clean. When the disciples received the Holy Spirit in their hearts, transformed them. They'd heard Jesus teach, and they'd seen him do mighty miracles. Now they were teaching in his name, and God was doing miracles through them. Peter and John, two of those fishermen that were just called as Jesus walked along the shore, they were arrested and brought in front of the religious leaders. All kinds of people were coming to faith in Christ because of them, and the religious leaders who had put Jesus to death said, Enough of this. Stop talking about Jesus. Peter and John said nothing to him. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We saw him crucified. We saw Him put in, his body put in the tomb. We saw him after he rose from the dead. We saw him ascend to heaven, and he's the one who put his Holy Spirit in our hearts. There is no other name by which men can be saved other than Jesus, and we're not going to stop talking about him. And here's what uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, recorded for us. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, ordinary fishermen here, for they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Please underline been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. That's enough. Jesus transforms people. No special training. Just willing to be used by God. In another letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote this You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves, we're your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God not from ourselves. What qualifies you and me for ministry is Jesus. Paul said it's like, a, it's like having this marvelous treasure in a weak, fragile clay pot. In those days, they used weak, fragile clay pots to store their stuff and move stuff around the same way you and I would now use a cardboard box. It was something cheap and disposable. You just use it to move and haul things. I mean, imagine if I went behind Winn-Dixie this morning and went and grabbed an old box where a bunch of bananas have been shipped to the store, and I grab it, it's kind of half torn up, and I bring it to my house, and I ask you, how much is this old torn up banana box worth? And you go, it's not worth anything. I hope they can recycle it. But if I had a million dollars in cash and put it inside that box, how much would it be worth now? A million dollars. Now, if any of you want to donate that for an illustration, I'll be glad to receive it. Okay, but but the point is, The box, all of a sudden now, is worth a fortune because there's a fortune in the box. And Paul says, don't forget this. This is the way it is with Jesus in our hearts. You and I might think we're not worth anything, and the truth is, compared to God, we're not. But you know what's great? God places his Holy Spirit inside of us, and his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and kindness and gentleness, that shines out through us. It's like having a million dollars inside of an old torn-up banana box, and now our lives become precious and powerful and worth a lot. So don't let anybody tell you you're worthless. No, you're not. God sent his son to die on the cross to save your soul and to save mine. You are precious to him. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, And with the Holy Spirit inside of us, we become mighty. Not so we can take glory for ourselves, but so we can give all the glory to him. I'm just a cracked pot. Well, that came out wrong. But anyway, uh, I'm nothing. I'm a cardboard box. And so are you. I don't amount to anything. But Jesus amounts to everything. And he is my Lord and Savior. He lives in my heart today. And I want you to know the joy that he has given me. And that brings us to our last life application. God has called ordinary people like us to change our world. You can put your name in there. God has called ordinary people like John to change our world. Those same disciples called from the seashore, called from the tax collector's booth, Therefore, he told, Jesus told them before he ascended into heaven, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And the disciples did, and their disciples made disciples, and those disciples made disciples all the way down to us. And we're part of the current generation of disciples. And God has called us to make disciples. Well... Uh, but you don't know my past. I don't have enough education. I'm not this. I'm not that. Somebody else has to do it. Mm-mm. I could tell you story after story after story where people had wonderful pedigrees or they had amazing levels of education, all sorts of resources, all kinds of things. And who was the person who led them to the Lord? Their housekeeper, the mechanic person they met on a trip? Why? Because there was a joy and a love and a quality of life they just couldn't argue with. And do you know if you and I surrender our hearts to the Lord, He could use us in amazing ways, right in our families, right in our neighborhoods, because we could just be witnesses for Him. Now I want to tell you about one special application that I believe he's called our church to, and this is the note there in your outline. I believe that God has made an opportunity for us at Centerpoint to reach our communities through multi-site. If you're visiting with us or never heard this before, the reason we call the church Centerpoint is because the church here in Prattville is really a hub where we hope to have a number of extensions. Normally I hold out both hands with the fingers and the illustration is really messed up now today because of this. But anyway. The whole idea is that we would have lots of extensions that would go out into lots of neighborhoods and to other places. Instead of building a big building here in Prattville and asking people to come to us, what if we took extensions of Center Point to the people so that people could reach folks in their own neighborhood? My message, the same message I'm talking to you, that I'm speaking to you right now, has been carried out to Pike Road, an extension on the other side of Montgomery, this morning already. They met at 9 30 there. We're hoping to start up other extensions in Troy and in uh, Cloverdale and Montgomery and in Wetumpka soon. And I want you to know what kind of people. We presented this idea about six months ago on a Sunday morning. I want you to know what kind of people responded when we threw out that idea and said, Hey, if we had an extension in those places, that would open open up an opportunity for people to come to know the Lord who would never come here. We never make the drive all the way to Prattville on Sunday mornings. Watch the screens. You'll see some of the people whom God has already brought uh, toward this vision. Hi, my name's Beth Watley. Um, I've been meeting with a group of people in Wetumpka um, as a planning group for our possible uh, Wetumpka site. I'm just really excited about it, not just because it's going to be close to home, but because there are a lot of people in this area who need to hear the word of Christ and, and who haven't been reached by anybody um, from a church. So this is something that I'm really excited about. I'm Jenny Myers and I live in the Wetumpka area, and I'm part of the group that is starting a possible site in Wetumpka for Center Point. We're super excited. It's been amazing to see how the group has already grown and how friendships are already being formed and we're just all excited to be able to have a place and with Tumpka, Glectic, and Tallysee to be able to invite our friends and a place where God can change lives in our community. We just finished our second meeting and, and the numbers continue to grow and God's calling people to this mission of called Multi-Site where we're, we're bringing CenterPoint to our communities. And this is just a start of what God's gonna do. It's amazing to be part of it. It's very exciting. Uh, be a part of this whole process uh... from the ground up uh, i just pray that you know I, god gives us the vision to just whatever that he calls us to do that we have the strength and the wisdom to do it hey i'm caleb hogg and me and my wife moved to troy about a year and a half ago because of work and when we got here we really couldn't find a church that fit us quite as well as Center Point did And so we would go back and forth to Pike Road every Sunday and recently the opportunity came up to start a Troy site and when it came up me and Hannah were on board uh, right away and so far we've had a group of people come in and it's been great. I'm Whitney Summerlin, I'm a student here at Troy University and I want to have a center point in Troy started because um, I visit a lot of churches here and none of them have fit for me. And I know a lot of the students here have felt the same way. They're looking for something that's a little different, that's not the you know, same, same worship experience everywhere you go. And I feel like Center Point would be a really good fit for Troy. The idea is we want to start up some extensions uh, to reach out to a bunch of people who aren't involved in church. And one of the things, whenever I bring this up, I have people tell me, they go, John, we live here in the South. I mean, this is the Bible Belt. Probably, this is probably the buckle on the Bible Belt. I mean, why do we need another church? I mean, there's plenty of churches already. Well, I think most of us would be shocked if you found out that according to the latest census data and other things, 53% of people in Elmore County claim no religious affiliation at all. 53%. Not 23%, 53%, more than half. Not Baptist, not Methodist, not Catholic, not Protestant, not nothing, 53%. And if that's not enough evidence for you, well, take a Sunday morning and drive through an apartment complex about 9 a.m., drive through it again on Monday morning. Monday morning, all the cars are gone, all the people at work. On Sunday morning, the cars are all there. Now, it could be that everybody just went to church and they all walked. That could be, but I don't believe it. I don't believe it. If you're asking me, if 53% of the population, more than half of the population, doesn't go to church anymore, or anywhere, I mean, then we should say, hey, there's enough churches. Don't start another one. Come on now. There are people who need the Lord. We want to help them center their lives on Christ. And how would we start these extensions? I mean, who would do that? People just like the people on the screens. When we said, hey, we can do this in Wetumpka, we can do this in Cloverdale, they said, oh, I'd love that. i got all kinds of people who, who they come to visit maybe once in a while and travel, but they go, oh, it's too far. I'm not driving up there every week. But I'd go if that church was in my neighborhood. Okay. We're going to start it in your neighborhood. Now come to church and get in a small group and surrender your life to him because the Lord loves you. Man, that's what we want. So how you, could you and I be involved in multi-site? Well, there are a couple of things in your outline here. We can pray. I'd ask you to pray for that. I mean, that's been a, a big dream of ours, to have extensions. Rather than have everybody just come to one big building here, we'd love to have extensions in a lot of places. I'd love for you to pray about that. We can participate. You might be somebody who could say, hey, I'll help get that together. I'd love to be a part of that. Or you could advocate. You could support this and recommend it, publicly speak in favor of it. I had people after every service say, go, well, I don't live in we tell them. But i got some friends to do. Can I tell them? And it's like, yeah, that's what advocate means. Sure. I got kids at Troy. I don't live in Troy. Could I come and be a part of a prayer meeting for that? You betcha. You betcha. One thing I was kind of sad about at 8 o'clock after I went through this list, I realized I should have put instead of pray, I could have put supplicate, which means the same thing. Then you could supplicate, participate, and advocate, and that sounds like something that I preach. There, just don't procrastinate, you know. <laughs> yeah, on that high note. Anyway, uh, I would like to remind you on this. I want to say one other thing. This allows us to get churches started with ordinary people. I want you to meet uh, a couple of folks. Uh, uh, Will, are you here, Sarah? Right? Oh, no. Chris, uh, Chris Griffin, Will Barrett, right, come on up here. Uh, these are two of the guys. Um, Tom Gaylord is going to be in charge of our... Um, he's running the point on development of a site in Wetumpka. Will in Cloverdale, and Montgomery, Chris, and Troy. And these are folks whom God has called part of this church. They've said, not only do I want to be a part of that, I'm willing to give up a career. And they've spent the last year, or Chris is still in the middle of it, but Will's already been through a whole year of training on this, site pastor training. And if we get a site going there, and once we get it up and running, they're willing to switch careers and say, I'll go into ministry. So I want you to know, if you're, yeah, you can applaud that, yeah. So I want you to know, God's not only raising up teams of people, he's raising up people who will give their lives to this and devote their lives to this. And I want to also say something else, uh, something else that's important about this. I know Jesus didn't go and recruit people from seminaries and things like that. We're not against education. I'm grateful for my seminary degree. These are guys, we're going to help get them education as we go. But we don't need to have all that to get started. Does that make sense to everyone? We have an opportunity now. God has blessed us with people and resources, and it's a time to go. So I want to have a word of prayer for us this morning that God will use us, ordinary people, And we will not disqualify ourselves because we're afraid. And we will not disqualify ourselves because maybe we've had some sinful and shameful things in the past. That's why Jesus came, to forgive us. And we will not disqualify ourselves because we don't have enough education yet. Well, let's do what we can and get education as we go. Let's quit making excuses. Let's follow him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I'm sorry for the excuses I've given you in the past. You've called me to love people. You've called me to pray for people. You've called me to share my faith. And, oh, I can't go, Lord. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Send someone else, Lord. Send someone taller or prettier or wealthier or whatever it is. More education. Smarter. Lord, you're content to use me if I'm willing to trust you and give you all the glory. In a moment of silence, if the Lord Lord has spoken today about something, maybe to help a friend overcome an addiction, maybe to go and confront a friend because of sin, maybe to lead a small group, maybe to be involved in one of these multi-site opportunities, would you pray about that right now and say, Lord, I heard you speaking to me. I heard you. Lord, if you give me the words to say, then then I'll speak up. Lord, if you give me the courage to go, I'll go. Lord, we just surrender our lives to you. I thank you that we can be a part of this church. Lord, my big desire, the big dream I have for this church, Lord, is just for it to be whatever you want it to be. For you to take it wherever you want it to go. And that you would raise up the men and the women necessary for that to happen. I know you're going to do it. And Lord, we want to We want to be a part of what you're doing in our world. We want to be faithful disciples of yours in our generation. Please help us trust you more and not be afraid. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.